that that uh, video has gotten several hundred thousand uh, watches and um, I, she's a star she's an internet star now some of you may have not found that uh, very funny uh, and because talking back to adults is not it's not funny and others you like me <laughs> might have found it hilarious you know <laughs> But, but deep down, deep down, you know that children have to learn to be respectful of authority. Um, but I do have a question. Where do you think that little girl learned those comments from? <laughs> right? So, um, that's right, from adults. Uh, if you have children or if you have uh, taken care of children, I feel like You've been given a gift, and uh, I'm talking about when they rebel. Uh, I think when the children you're caring for rebel, we get a little bit of a taste of what God must feel like when we rebel, when we turn away from him. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg uh, preached on the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, and after the, they crossed the Red Sea, they started to travel toward the Mount Sinai. And if you've been reading with us, or if you're familiar with the story from the book of Exodus, they were traveling to the Mount Sinai. This is where Moses met God. He saw God in a, in a burning bush, and God called him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Unfortunately, from the time they left the Red Sea, to the time they got to the Mount Sinai, uh, they, those, there was, they did not go without an incident. There was a couple of major uh, incidents that occurred when the people complained. They complained about not having any food. They complained about not having any water. And, of course, God provided for the children of Israel what they needed. But we learn, we learn that they... They quickly turned from God. They quickly turned against Moses and, uh, uh, because they were unhappy and uh, they were not, they were not uh, satisfied, uh, even though God had set them free from Egypt. Well, the children of Israel finally did reach Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God, and this is where... Um, uh, God gave uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with the movie, the Cecil B. DeMille movie, the Ten Commandments, you know. Even if uh, if not, uh, if you read the Bible, you may have seen the movie, but you read the Bible, you know the story. And Pastor Greg's going to be preaching about the Ten Commandments in, in a couple of weeks. Um, well, Moses went up to the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, and he was going back down, and he was communicating to the people what God was saying. And it says in the text that Moses came down and shared the children of Israel what God had told them, the Ten Commandments, 
Well, then he goes back up to the uh, mountain, and he is there for 40 days. That's a long time. Well, let's look at what happened. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 8. If you have a Bible, if not, you can look at the screen. It says, when, people, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people, whom you brought brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed, sacrificed it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And I want to highlight, and there's going to be a highlight on the screen uh, from verse 8. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded. Uh, there's a commentator, he's, a, he's from, I think, the 1700s. He writes about this verse. He says, sin is departing from the way of duty into a bypath. Uh, you know, just uh, God gave them the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. And again, you guys know what that is. You tell your kids, stay away from the cookie jar. And you turn your head and where are they? Over there by the cookie jar. <laughs> so quickly, so quickly did, they, did the children of Israel, just like us, so quickly we turn. We turn away from the Lord. You know, there are some passages in the New Testament that refer to the children of Israel's time in the wilderness. And we're going to look at a couple of those in this morning. And I want to start with Hebrews 3, verse 8. And uh, the NIV says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Uh, and then the King James Version, I like what the King James Version says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Provocation. You know what that what, what word comes from that? Provoke. Have your children ever provoked you? Uh, what about has your spouse, your husband, or your wife ever provoked you? Right? So the provocation, they... they 
provoked the Lord to anger. Uh, Albert uh, Barnes, who wrote a commentary on the entire Bible, he talks about the word rebellion, and he says, in the embittering is what it meant, what it means embitters or provokes the mind as disobedience. Here it refers to what the children of Israel did to embitter the mind of God against them. That is the course of conduct which was adopted to provoke him to wrath. They provoked God to anger by doing what he explicitly had told them not to do. So this morning, I want to talk about rebellion. And uh, I want to talk about what led the children of Israel to rebel from God. Um, And just as a reminder, the same thing can happen to you and to me. Uh, Let's first start off with the recipe for rebellion. What is the recipe for rebellion? It starts with familiarity with God. Familiarity with God. The children of Israel had the privilege of seeing God's power in tangible ways. I do like that movie. That's a classic movie, the the Ten Commandments. Because you see God doing the plagues. You see God, you know... The the the, uh, the the hell and the darkness and the, the frogs and the blood. And then you see God moving, the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea. The children of Israel saw God's power. They saw his, his mighty deeds in invisible and tangible ways. Look at uh, Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. By day the children, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its its place in front of the people. Can you imagine a cloud following you home? And then you go outside at night and the clouds is a burning, uh, you, you might like call for a counselor and go for a therapy session because you're not sure what you're seeing. They saw God's uh, visible representation that he was with them through the cloud. And it says it never, it never left them. Anytime they wanted to know, hey, are we leaving today? They would talk, see the cloud move. Or if we're leaving tonight, they would see the cloud, the, the, the fire move. Uh, they saw that. Look at ver- uh, Exodus 19. They come to the mountain. Look what happened. Uh, Exodus 19, verses 16 through 18. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, with a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke uh, billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. This is before... This is before 
They had even received the Ten Commandments. This is before they had even built the golden calf. Look at Exodus 20, verses 18 through 20. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God to speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. With all that the children of Israel had seen, what they just saw on this mountain, you would have thought that they would have committed themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. But what does that phrase say? Familiarity breeds contempt. <clears throat> what about you and me? Do we ever treat God with contempt? There's a, a pastor, and I, I can't say his last name. I know his first name is Tabidi. Um, and he says, this is in a message he preached, he says, not retaining the knowledge of God in our life and in our actions, in our heart, in our affections. It's the suppressing of that knowledge of God, as Paul describes it in Romans 1. That's what the contempt is. We are to be consumed with love for God and worship of God. And because we're sinners and misshapen in our sin, the contempt manifests itself in the least as not thinking about God, but delighting in the sin. That's why sin is treasonous. It's so easy to come to church. It's so easy to come to Bible study. It's so easy to be around the things of God and sing and worship. And then the moment we are gone from the building, sometimes literally getting in the car, we can start to have problems. We can start to turn away. Um, we can know a lot about God. Not just from, from uh, hearing and studying God's word, but from personal experience that you and I may have seen God move in our lives in amazing and powerful ways where he's brought healing, where he's brought provision, where he's brought a new job or a relationship or a friendship. He brought blessings into our lives. We can be familiar with his power and his deeds because we've seen him move. And not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. But unfortunately, we can easily forget. We can easily forget um, what we know and seen of God. And when we do, we are in a dangerous, dangerous position. 
So the recipe for rebellion starts with familiarity with God, and then the next number two is forgetting God's blessings. This is another New Testament passage that talks about this time in the history of Israel. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. I want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What an indictment. God was not pleased with most of them. What happened? What happened? They forgot God's blessings and they were ungrateful. There's a a pastor, uh, a sermon that he spoke. uh, It's called The Roads, The Roads Less Traveled. He tells a story of a, a man named Charlie and Jim. And he writes... Charlie and Jim met on the street one morning. Charlie said, well, hello, Jim. How's my best friend today? Jim simply continued on his way, not bothering to respond. So Charlie pleaded, Jim, aren't you going to even speak to me, your best friend? Jim, how can you be so cold after all I've done for you? Jim, two years ago when you were broke and in the hospital for three months, who paid all the doctor's bills? And the hospital bills as well. Jim finally said, you did, Charlie. That's right, Jim. And a year ago when you were laid off, who got you a job at his company? Jim mumbled, you did. And six months ago while at the beach you were drowning, who was it that risked his life, swam into the surf, and rescued you? Jim answered, yes. Yes, you did, Charlie. But Charlie, what have you done for me lately? If you're a parent, how does it feel when your children are ungrateful? If you're married, how does it feel when your spouse is ungrateful? Or maybe you have a friend and you go out of your way to take care of them and and help them and, 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 and be there for them. And they are ungrateful. I think I think you and I might use words stronger than God was not pleased. We'd be angry. The recipe for rebellion, familiarity with God forgetting God's blessings, and feening the forbidden. Feening, that's correct. You're not, you're, you're not mistaken in that. Now, some of you probably don't know what that word means, and some of you might know what it means, and <laughs> not for good reasons, <laughs> for good reasons. So, so it, is, uh, it, it means to crave something, and especially 
drugs, um, drugs or alcohol. But it can be anything. If you're, if you're a diabetic like me, you're supposed to have too many sweets. But sometimes <laughs> I'm feeding for some chocolate cake. Or I'm feeding for some fried chicken or, or a hamburger, cheeseburger, and french fries. I'm feeding. Well, feeding the forbidden can lead us to rebellion. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 6-8. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. I I like what the the New Living Translation says, verse 6, how that's interpreted. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things. A.T. Robertson is a um, Hebrew, a a Greek uh, scholar, and he says that this word communicates to the intent we should not lust after. What does it mean to lust after something? It doesn't mean, oh, I'm hungry, I want, I want a cheeseburger. That's not lust. You know, uh, um, I want to get some sleep. That, that's not, that's, those are legitimate needs. Um, it means, lust means to have an inordinate desire for something that God has not given us. I'll be very honest. Um, I'm single. But guess what? I'm a man just like any other man sitting in here. But God has chosen not to give me a wife. So it would be sinful for me to go outside of God's plan to get my physical needs met. And lust is something that not just single men do, but um, married men have a problem. An inordinate desire for something that God has not given us. You think of Eve in the garden. She could have eaten any tree in that garden. Hundreds, I don't know, maybe more. And she got fixated on the one tree that she was not supposed to eat from. John Piper says, preferring anything above Christ is the very essence of sin. It's interesting about Adam. I don't, I don't know that Adam lusted after the, the fruit on the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, but I can tell you one thing. He preferred his wife over God. We, the Bible says we're not to have anything, anything come 
before God. God wants us to love our families, our children, our spouses, but he doesn't want anything to come. What did Jesus say? Unless you're willing to leave your mother, your father, your children, your spouse. In fact, in one translation, he says, unless you hate. He didn't mean to hate. Some of you were like, oh, really? I get to hate my family? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anything compared to our love for God should be like hate. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, a great writer, theologian, says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Before we move on, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, the last verses in that passage. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I have a friend that uh, I used to work with right after I graduated from the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And he wasn't a Christian. And he was telling me, he was watching the Ten Commandments movie. It must have been the first time he's seen it. And he talked about this passage where they were at the mountain and there was five, there was and Moses, God gave him the Ten Commandments. And what were the children of Israel doing? They were making an idol and sacrificing to an idol and getting up around and dancing. And it wasn't uh, uh, the waltz. <laughs> this was uh, uh, club dancing, if you will. And very often led to other immoral activities. Well, he commented on the scene and he said he was genuinely genuinely surprised by how the children of Israel I think actually he might have been convicted by what he saw. These things happened to them again as examples and were written down. What things? The Old Testament. The book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy. These things happened to them, examples, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You know, you read these stories and, wow, man, that's messed up. That's messed up. They're not just for we to say, for us to say that's we're to take these stories as warnings of what can happen to us. I cringe every time I read of a Christian leader, a pastor, a singer, whatever, who who experiences a major moral failing. I shake my head when I 
see these artists that are deconstructing their faith. But guess what? That could be me. And that could be you. That we need to be careful because we could be the one to go off, to wander off, and to turn from the Lord. The Bible says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Well, what if you or I are in a state of rebellion this morning? Or we're steering off the road. You know, you fall asleep and you start, you start going off the road when you're traveling. What if we're in that state? Well, what do we need to do? We need to repent. So this is the second part. Repenting from rebellion. And I'm going to just go through these very quickly. This is the application part. What does it look like to repent? Return to the Lord. Rend your hearts and remember God's character. Uh, Jesus told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who went to the temple to pray. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament times, the, the, the Israelites, oh, well, not the, the, at the beginning of the New Testament, the Israelites were under Roman occupation. And the Romans collected taxes. Well, they got Jewish people to be the tax collectors. And here's the deal. This is what we want. This is what we expect. Anything over is yours. So guess what those guys did? They charged double, triple, right? And they were rich. But they were considered sinners. They were considered enemies of the people, traitors, right? Traitors toward the people, traitors toward God. Greedy, corrupt. Well, this Pharisee, and again, now I know a lot of people know the Pharisee. Very religious, very upright, knows the law, doesn't do anything wrong. They went to pray. It says the Pharisee stood proudly and thank God, I'm glad I'm not like this guy standing back there, this tax collector. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not like him. I, I do all these wonderful things. And it says, the tax collector stood way, way back. He sat in the back row. Not, not that it means anything if you're sitting in the back row, but he would come into church Kind of snuck in, sat at the back, wouldn't even lift up his head, and said he beat on his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what this, that's what repentance looks like. He, he came back to God. He returned to God. He remembered. He, he, he rended his heart. He rent his heart. He was broken about his sin. 
And I wonder, I wonder if he remembered, like all good little Jewish little boys would have known, what, what God said about himself. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. You know, when the the children of Israel were worshiping the golden calf. And Moses went down and he rebuked them. And God said, I'm done. I'm done, Moses, like the Lord. I'm done with you. I'm done. I'm not going to go with you to the land of Canaan. And Moses said, no, no, please go with us. Please don't go, don't, don't send us if you're not going to go with us. And God said, okay, I'll go. But that wasn't enough for Moses. I think he wanted a little something, a little more. And he said, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to show you. Put that back up, that, that last slide up again, Lydia. He said, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to declare my name. I don't like it when people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is wrath and fire and judgment. Believe he's holy. He is holy. And even in that text, he says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. But what does he say? What does he say about himself? The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. How can we, how can we receive that? How, how can our, our sin be atoned for? Jesus died in our place. He bore the penalty of our sin if we just simply call out to him and ask him to save us, to forgive us, he will. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that though, Lord, you are holy and you hate it when we turn away, you hate it when we rebel against you, Lord, And we do so easily, so often, Father. But we thank you, Lord, for the promise of mercy. Mercy is when we don't, when you don't give us what we deserve, Lord. Because you punished your son, Lord. Lord, wherever we are, 
May we turn to you. May we call out to you for forgiveness for the first time, Lord. Or if we've wandered off, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.